0: Good morning Hillside glad you're here good to see you in person face-to-face Glad you're here online as well and you know we gather together About once a week to meet with each other to catch up with each other and to connect with our living God Who is present with us this morning already? Thank you Lord Jesus Dammy's gonna pray with us to get started
1: Lord Jesus We just wanna thank you because it's a privilege to be before you this morning. You are worthy of all our praises. Thank you, Father. God, we ask that you bring your power down to this place. You are a powerful God, we know that. We know that. We have account of how you parted the Red Sea, made it a dry land for people to pass through. Father, let that power let it reign over this place, let it reign over your children, both here and online in the name of Jesus, Father, Lord, we want to commit the hillside church members yes. that are sick that have any form of infirmity in their bodies. Father, we ask for your perfect healing over their lives in the name of Jesus. Father, we pray for the generous Hillside Church members that have been generous with their time, their resources, and their love, Lord, we ask God that you open the windows of heaven over their lives today. In the name of Jesus, Lord, we ask that you fill Pastor Dan with your spirit today. In the name of Jesus, thank you, Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand?
0: know, Paul says that if it wasn't for the resurrection of Jesus, all would be in vain. It is the single greatest act that has ever happened. Our Savior raising from the dead that glorious, glorious day.
2: Awesome God! Whoa! Now go ahead and sit down. Hello, Hillside. Oh, oh. Hmm. Okay. Here we go. Should we try it again? They were weak. Here we go. Hello, Hillside. Yeah go i'm steven weisung i'm the pastor of student ministries here it is so good to be together worshiping our amazing god as a family hey we got a couple things that we want to tell you about first of all if you have a kid that's nursery to fifth grade and they're in here with you and you want to send them down to our excellent and amazing kids program they can go downstairs you can walk with them that's open for you, you can do that. Uh, If you walked in and you didn't grab, look at how many things I have to show you today. If you walked in and you didn't grab one of our bulletins, we would love for you to have it. It gives good information, what to expect on the inside. You get these amazing sermon notes that I write up all the time. I like to doodle and write notes, so this is perfect for me. If you want one of these and you didn't get one, an usher will bring one to you. You just need to raise your hand and we will get that to you. Also... We got these connect cards. If you are new, something hits you in the message, you need a prayer request, this card is for you. You can drop it in the offering plate when they go by or you can take it out to the welcome table out there. So there you go. A couple things happening that are pretty exciting. We have a parent support dinner happening on Wednesday, August 30th. Is it here? It's here at 630. And this is for any parent who has a kid with a disability. And this is a night of encouragement, of resourcing. And you can see Johnny and Friends, one of our great Hillside partners, uh, they do a whole thing at Mission Springs. It's an amazing thing. They're going to be there providing resources. So if you or you know someone, churched or unchurched, that would really benefit from this night, we would love to have you join us. You can contact Tiffany Yates up there. Okay, next coming up, we par- partner with a local ministry called the Arm of Care, and uh, maybe you saw the, the Sound of Freedom, that movie that came out that dove into the topic of human trafficking. And here's the crazy thing. We can see these things and think, oh, human trafficking, that happens far away from us. Well, actually, it happens all around us, and especially here in the Bay Area. So Arm of Care, they're putting on a night. Let me make sure I get the date. August 31st, 630 to 730 at Walnut Creek Presbyterian Church. I think the way I got it, they're going to show the movie. They're not, they're not going to show the movie. They're going to discuss the movie, The Sound of Freedom. And so I think you can go see the movie still. But that is going to be a super powerful night to inspire you and maybe get you into wanting to take some action steps to help the just terrible thing that is human trafficking. So that's happening as well. If you remember, a whole week ago... Last Sunday, we launched into the amazing race. This is our new ministry year, and we have a couple things for you. If you are getting inspired to serve as part of the amazing race, we have this. This is our service team ministry menu. If you like to walk by restaurants and look at menus, we got you covered at Hillside. You can grab this out there uh, and see just the different ministry teams that are looking for team members. You can contact that leader. So that's for you there. Okay, cool next step if you're looking for next steps in your discipleship as we go into this new ministry year we got you covered there too we got all these amazing groups all these next step opportunities you can grab that out there as well and we would love for you to get involved and just pray how God maybe is moving you to get into the life of hillside this year so there we go with that okay last thing here's the last thing next week we won't be here Yes, exactly. But we're going to be somewhere amazing. And I think the weather is going to be pretty good, too. We're going to be down at Civic Park for church in the park. One service, 10 a.m., all of us together, worshiping Jesus out in public. It is going to be a great time. We want you to know that because if you come up here, it'll look like the rapture happened. But it didn't because we're worshiping. Well, it could. I don't know. We'll see. But it could. We will be worshiping at Civic Park together. Okay, those are all the things coming up here at Hillside we just wanted you to get involved and we just love you here all right here's what we're going to do we're going to have you stand up and you're going to do a mixer with maybe one person you didn't come with one person sitting next to you here's the mixer question what is something that you are thankful to God for from this past week go ahead and tell a neighbor
0: Well, go ahead and have a seat um, <clears throat> we could have our ushers come forward for our offering And let's pray that God will uh, take what we give and um, Lord we uh, we give to you out of grateful hearts and we look forward to what you're going to do with what we give back to you God thank you for all of the amazing blessings that you've given to us as individuals and God that you've given this church I think about being in this room right now that, as our sanctuary got flooded we had a place ready to, to go and we just thank you for so many ways that you have provided for us we love you it's in Jesus name we pray Amen. Amen. Bless the
3: Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul. Worship his holy name. Sing like now. i The greatest, your name stands above them all. All thrones and dominion, all power and position.
0: Attributes to focus on but God right now we just want to dwell on that you are a holy and righteous God deserving of all of our praise thank you that we get to do this that we get to gather together and as brothers and sisters in Christ side by side hearing the voices all around us echoing the truth together we build each other up as we give you glory honor honor and praise. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
4: Good morning to you. Good morning. Really good to see you this morning. I'm Dan Seitz. Today, uh, week two of our fall series from the Sermon on the Mount. So good to have you here for it. We've named this series, uh, The Flourishing Trees. And the reason for that is that uh, the palm tree uh, that produces luscious dates is a picture Uh, a life that's grounded in God's love, and more specifically, a life that's patterned after Jesus' words. And accordingly, uh, one of our theme verses for the series is Psalm 92.12, which says this, The righteous flourish like the palm tree. And, you know, when we consider uh, Jesus' challenging mountaintop sermon in the Sermon on the Mount, we have a tendency to think something like this. You know, okay, I, I get it. Uh, it's it's very, very hard, very demanding, but there's a payoff in the end, so I will put my head down and I will run through the gauntlet of pain expecting something to be really great at the end. Well, that is half right. There is a major payoff at the end. Uh, there is a finish line. There's a finish line party in the Christian story, something that distinguishes uh, naturalism, philosophies of life that say that nature is all there is, and something that distinguishes Christianity from Eastern religions, which say that you know, history or the world or creation really have no ultimate goal. L- listen to Jesus here, Matthew 19, starting at verse 28. He says, truly I say to you in the new world, when the son of man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel and everyone who's left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. And Jesus is not embarrassed to hold out an idyllic future as, as a carrot uh, for keeping us connected to him, keeping us connected to our fellow disciples in this age. And that future is this earth, entirely cleansed of evil, moral and natural, and remarried to heaven. That's true. It's a great payoff. But here's the key, that future Benny that Jesus is not embarrassed to talk about that future flourishing mm. in a new body and a reborn earth doesn't come at the expense of present flourishing. Mm. And in saying blessed are, Jesus is saying that those who, who make him their Lord and sin bearer and friend and mentor, Jesus is saying they're the lucky ones, not just in the future, but right now. They're the ones to be envied. They're the ones who have it made in the shade, as you might say. And like we talked about last week, this can be difficult for us to capture, especially when we're reading in English, because it lacks, English lacks the right word to capture makarios. I told you in this series, you're gonna need to learn two Greek words. The first one's makarios. And it's the Greek word behind the word blessed here. And one writer says that this word makarios, it, it teases translators because it's so hard to really capture. And when we read makarios are, when we read blessed are, we naturally think that Jesus is speaking about a transaction. We sort of intuitively think that Jesus is saying, you know, if we do X, God will repay us with Y. And sometimes, admittedly, that's true because God's a generous God and he's involved in our lives, which makes every moment full of drama. It's just not what Jesus is saying here. That's not his point right here. Jesus, you could say, like an ancient philosopher king is describing the good life. And he's describing how it is that we can experience it. He's offering practical wisdom, bare bones wisdom, practical life wisdom for how we can grow right now, how we can bloom right now, how we can flourish right now. And that, by the way, is something we ought to have at the ready as we carry out our calling as ambassadors, as people who belong to Jesus. We get to be his spokeswomen and his spokesmen. And we should remember this in our conversations with spiritually curious people. We should remember this. You know, in addition to forgiveness, I mean, that's great. In addition to day of judgment, confidence, Jesus offers a style of life that leads to our good. Christianity involves a way of life that is both beneficial and beautiful. Several years ago, uh, a criminal who made his living ripping off other criminals in, uh, in an acclaimed TV series said this in this climactic scene uh, in the series. He said this to a detective who was interrogating him. He said, a man's got to have a code. And unlike the drug dealers that this guy robbed, this character actually did have a code and it made him comparatively better than the criminals uh, that he was uh, robbing, even though he himself was a criminal as well. And this line in the series generated a lot of conversation. In fact, there was a, uh, an article uh, in a magazine that I read about it. people were really interested in this line. And of course, he's absolutely right. If you think about it, funny source, but he's right. You know, No one can live well. Without something beyond her own moment-to-moment impulses <laughs> to guide her, we need something to frame us. Well, Jesus the King offers a code. He offers a way of life, beautiful, beneficial, and it's crystallized in the Sermon of the Mount, which he embodied, he lived this, this was him, and which he is delighted to teach us in in, in one-on-one relationship and friendship and in group mentoring. And again, it's a code that leads to something really good right here and now, all right? That gets us to our passage for the morning, Matthew 5, 1 through 12, let's read it. It says this, seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What do we have here in this passage? We've got nine macarisms. That's what Bible scholars actually call them. Nine bold declarations about what constitutes the good life here and now. Now, when we read this list, uh, for the most part, we, we sort of get these qualities that Jesus is inviting us into. We understand meekness, meaning uh, in our power relationships, we don't throw our weight around in the family or at work or whenever. And we understand mercy. We don't demand a pound of flesh from somebody who has done wrong or wronged us. And we understand being a peacemaker. We bring people together who are having a hard time getting along. What is a little difficult, though, a little trickier to really understand is this first one, poor in spirit. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? And it seems that it's important to get this one down to kind of penetrate to this one's depth because it's the lead off hitter, you could say. And it would seem to have outsized importance. And when I started digging into this, I found that a lot of writers Uh, on the sermon define poor in spirit in the same way as a a claim of spiritual bankruptcy, as a claim of uh, spiritual desperation, the attitude that says, I need you, God, every minute, like the old song goes. And I don't think there's any question that that idea is contained within this beatitude. But after encountering it a few times, I wondered, you know, is that really all that Jesus means by the first line in the first section of his most famous sermon? It seemed to me to be a little little tame. Well, I dug a little deeper and found that I wasn't alone, that the author of a, a famous book on the sermon thought the same thing, that there's a little more there. To this first blessed are than just sort of generic spiritual dependence so that's there and to cut to the chase I think we discover the more when we look really carefully at this passage and we just dissect the verse so let's do that now let's look at it verse 3 the word poor what's that mean it's the usual one for poor as in just lacking stuff nothing complicated there What about the word for spirit? Well, here's where things get a little bit more interesting. The word here is pneuma, and it ordinarily means wind or breath or spirit as in Holy Spirit. But this is interesting. The word also has another sense, and we see this other sense many times in the gospels, including in Matthew. Check out John eleven thirty three. 33. This is from uh, the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. It says, when Jesus saw her weeping and those who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Hold that in mind. And now Matthew 26, 41, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Well, in both instances, and a lot of other instances that we could we could show, spirit doesn't mean God's spirit. Spirit there means one's own self, one's own deep inner being. In fact, in Mark 8:12, Jesus is said to sigh deeply in his pneuma, in his Spirit. All right. Let's draw the threads together. See what we discover. If poor means lacking in, and spirit here means inner self, then poor in spirit at least could mean something like lacking in inner self, or maybe better, lacking in self concern, lacking in self regard, or even maybe lacking in ego. Well, we wonder, could this be what it means? Could this be what Jesus means by poor of spirit? There's a way of testing and we could test it this way. You see, at one point, Jesus describes himself as poor in spirit, even though he uses a different word. He doesn't say poor in spirit. He says lowly in heart. Listen to what he says. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, come to me, All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And here's the key part. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And therefore, we could ask to test this. Was Jesus poor in spirit in the the very distinct sense of sort of being self-unconcerned? Not preoccupied with self or to flip it around. We could test it this way. When we look at Jesus' life, the way he interacted with people, uh, positive interactions, uh, difficult interactions, was Jesus constantly safeguarding his own honor? Did Jesus seem really concerned about his own standing? Or maybe to bore down a little bit more, was he touchy? Was Jesus easily miffed? Was Jesus easily offended? And I think that one of the most uh, vivid and surprising features of Jesus' character is that he was not, which is very, very unusual for anyone, but especially uh, a man, right? Think about it. And we can see this quality of self-unconcern in a very famous story, one of my favorite ones from Luke 8 and in one point in his ministry early on Jesus gets in a boat with his disciples and he sails uh, across the Galilee to the region to the east and just as soon as he steps off the boat he's met with a scary guy this uh, a, a demon possessed guy. Mark tells the story and this guy is terrifying. He lives among the tombs. They try to chain him up, keep him from hurting himself and others. He just breaks through the chain. Well, this guy shows up right when Jesus steps off the boat and he's naked. He's violent. he's, He's like a feral human being. And what's interesting is that he falls down right before Jesus. And the demon inside this guy recognizes who Jesus is. He knows who he is. He knows that he's the, the true king, having finally come, and that's, what's more, he knows that this king is the eternal son of Israel's God. That's who he is. And he falls down before him. Well, Jesus dialogues with the guy for a little while, the demon, and somewhat curiously not sure why but Jesus grants the demon's request to invade a herd of pigs nearby. And this causes the pigs, a very dramatic scene, to just run down this hill right into the lake and they drown themselves. Quite a moment. Well, the townspeople show up and they find this previously possessed guy, this really terrifying guy, someone you would avoid on the street. Luke says, sitting at at the feet of Jesus, get this, clothed and in his right mind. He's totally restored, completely remade. Well, how do the people respond? What do these townspeople do? Do they, do they hail him as king? They say, you're here, Messiah. Bend the knee. Do they ask for healing themselves? I mean, if he, if he healed this one guy, uh, maybe he'll heal me. Do they merely thank him? for uh, rescuing the neighborhood from this pretty terrifying and menacing dude. Not at all. You know what Luke says? (laughs) Luke says that they asked Jesus to shove off. (laughs) They kick him out of town. I've always noticed this. Can you believe it? I mean, think about this. What foolishness. Wouldn't it have been valuable to have a friend with that kind of power? And then secondly, just to quote our British friends, you know, what cheek, (laughs) what attitude. Now think about it, you know, if you were in Jesus' place, how would you react to this indignity after you had done something really heroic and generous? Let me tell you how I would have reacted, (laughs) knowing myself as I do. You knuckleheads, do you know who I am? Did you see what I just did? Not Jesus, not the true human being, not the human being who images God perfectly. Luke tells us in verse 37, what does he do? He gets in his boat, sails off, talks to the guy one more time, but that's it. He registers zero irritation. He registers zero bruised ego. And maybe we're thinking, okay, just one instance. No, we see that same quality, very distinct, of self-unconcernedness combined with this laser-like focus on his own calling. What God has called him to do, we see it in all the events surrounding surrounding his trial and his execution. Think about it. In the face of these outrageous claims, these outrageous uh, criticisms and charges, Jesus shows zero defensiveness. No need to protect himself. No need to protect his own ego. No need to vindicate himself. Instead, what does he do? Instead of focusing on his own standing, how he's being perceived, his rights, what does he do? Guarding his own honor. He focuses on what God the Father has called him to do. And in fact, in the book of John, he calls the Father's calling on his life, what God has called him to do in the world, as his food. It's his food, he says. Well, what do we learn from this? Here's what I think, and here's what this message comes down to: to be poor in spirit, which Jesus says leads to flourishing, not not just some kind of future vindication, which it does, but 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 benefit at the ground level in our lives right now. To be poor in spirit is to be honor indifferent and to be calling consumed. It's both those things. I'm indifferent to my honor. I'm focused on what God has called me to do. And it's not to have a poor self-concept. That's not what we're talking about. It's not to think little of ourselves. To be poor in spirit is to think about ourselves very little. It's not denouncing the self at all. It's dethroning the self. Rather, it's swapping the self as one's, Premier preoccupation, my number one concern, how I'm seen, how people treat me, my standing in the community for something better, something else, God's call on my life and the good that I can do because he's embraced me and he loves me and he's made me his servant. It's deciding that that my God is not going to be me. My God's going to be God himself, not my own image not my own comfort, not my own standing, not my own reputation. And as the first macroism, Jesus is saying that this is the foundation of a life that leads to flourishing. And of course, if we think about it and we think about our own experience, we know he's right. I mean, think about it. Think of the pain of having a huge ego and self-concept to defend Every time it's defaced, that's exhausting. You know, recently, quite, well, actually several months ago, um, like I'm sure you have uh, recently, just like me, I was a sort of experienced, a, a sort of a throttling in a conversation, it's sort of diminished in a conversation. Nothing too big, nothing unusual. We all experience these things, right? But man. It hurt. It really, really hurt. And it stung for several days. In fact, it it hung over me during a trip with my boys to Magic Mountain. And nobody needs a trip to Magic Mountain to be any more miserable. Do you agree with me? (laughs) It hurts. Not the first time. And it hurt. And I really thought a lot about this. It hurt because the reality is instead of being poor in spirit, I am rich in self. That's why I hurt. And the pain and the revenge fantasies proved it. Okay, The hurt revealed who I am, what I really am at a very, very deep level. And it also revealed how Jesus, my Lord, who loves me, who is totally for me, would like to mold me namely into a disciple that is far happier, far more joyful day-to-day because he is far poorer in spirit, or as we've said, just honor indifferent, who cares what people think, and calling consumed. I'm gonna focus on what you've asked me to do, Lord. And I wanna say, you know, I'm growing here. The last couple of years have been a, a school and growing and being poor in spirit. And you know what the truth is? This is true. I can see it. I'm becoming a more flourishing tree as time goes on. And I'm stewing less over this indignity or that. And it's a, a relief. It's freedom to just think, what's God called you to do? Do the best you can and don't worry about anything else. You know, what if this fall, as a, as a community of disciples here at New Hillside, what if We all sought to make being poor in spirit that quality that we lean into. With Jesus our King giving us uh, personal tutoring, reflecting upon it in in our groups. Again, not not self-scorning. Doesn't have anything to do with thinking bad of ourselves. It's just self-forgetting. It's working to be indifferent to our sense of honor. What people think all the time. Self-forgetting, calling consumed, and what if we aim to kind of like swap that idol of self, which we're always polishing, in case somebody smears it. Okay, with Jesus. And 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 what whom could we love if we weren't concerned about maintaining the brand? We care. You know, how could we change if we weren't embarrassed to say to the people in our group, you know, I have not arrived in this area. I struggle here. I need your help. We didn't deny our darkness. We talked and then let our friends do what they're supposed to do. Help us chart a new way forward. What good could we do here in the church if we didn't let a smack down yesterday keep us from doing what God has called us to do today? How could things be different? How happier could we be? I mean, right now. How much more carefree? if We just got to let it go. You know, nothing is more alien to our natural instincts than to lay aside our personal sense of honor and dignity as our highest commitment. Everything, everyone around us says, be rich in honor. Make sure everybody thinks the world of you. Have a million followers. And if they don't or they disgrace the idol of self, man, make them pay. <laughs> And that self-projection, everyone says, that's the path to flourishing. But you know what Jesus says? Jesus says it's exactly the opposite. It's just the opposite. Jesus says it's those who are poor in spirit, who have placed self second to Jesus who are, you know what? He says, they're going to be the ones who grow taller. (laughs) They're going to be the ones that grow leafier. They're the ones that are gonna be, along with other flourishing trees like that, are gonna create an oasis for other people. They're the ones. You know, before I wrap up, great book about the Sermon on the Mount, which I drew from for this message. The author, a guy named Stanley Jones, says something great. I loved it, and I'm gonna paraphrase it for you because it was a long quote in the book. This is what he writes. He says, there are really just two philosophies of life. The philosopher Nietzsche summed up the one when he said, assert yourself. Care nothing except yourself. Jesus stands as the utter opposite of that in saying that the way to find life is to lose it. That the way of self-realization is by the way of self-renunciation. Nietzsche died in a madhouse and the world that followed him went to the brink of hell in the last war. Jesus died on a cross but then rose again to the throne of the universe. Madhouse or crown of life. Friends, we must choose wisely, right? Constant concern about our standing. It's the path to the madhouse. Jesus offers a better path, and you know what he does? He gives us his own spirit <laughs> to help us cultivate it. You know, and being poor in spirit, again, just st- not thinking about ourselves so much. Subordinating self to God, to God's call, you know what it does over time? It actually leads to a new, stable, happy self, a fuller sense of self, because it leads to the opportunity to learn. You can really learn. You can listen to what other people say around you and learn. It creates the opportunity to grow, it it creates the opportunity to persevere, to not collapse. Once we get our first bit of criticism. You see, the Sermon on the Mount is not just world affirming, creation affirming, saying that the world has a future. It's also personality affirming. Importance of the personality because subordinating ego and self to Jesus and the good that we've called, that He's called us to do over time as we do that, you know what we discover? We discover who we are. We discover that stuff kind of burned away. We discover that we're a little more like Jesus than we were before, we find our lives and we find ourselves. Let's close a little bit of exploration here. Just with a time together of listening for Jesus' voice. Again, let, we, let's let this sink in. Jesus, the wisest person who ever lived said, "Blessed are the po- blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, flourishing are those who are honor indifferent and consumed with their calling. Smartest guy who ever lived said that. So let's take a little time now in silence. Let's do it. And let's ask the Lord who's here, who loves us, who's for us, died for us, rose again. Let's ask the Lord this question. Is there a a, a frequent situation Mm. in which concern for image, concern for standing makes me brittle or actually causes me pain? Take a little time in silence to let the Lord, let him show us that. What What are those occasions? Carrying around a big heavy load of self. Let him speak. Maybe we have something in mind. Let's let's now take a few seconds to ask the Lord who loves us, who's here right with us, who's, who's here among us, inside us, just to swap that thing, that event, that occasion for him and what he's called us to do so that we can actually experience rest, just feel a lot better. Being poor in spirit is such a pressure release it's a, it's, a, it's an occasion for rest let let's let's ask the lord to make the swap Father, thank you for what you have given us today in your word. I'm just personally thankful for this blessed hour. Thanks that it's the path to flourishing, being poor in spirit like your son was. Thanks that as believers, we're actually rich in your Holy Spirit so we can begin to cultivate this in the closest possible friendship with you. And Lord, I pray for everyone here, everyone here at New Hillside, and I pray for me, that this week would be one of peace, one of refreshment as we turn our focus away from ourselves and onto you. And all that you've called us to do, the good you've called us to do, the love you've called us to to extend as those who belong to you, who are your favored ones, your beloved children. Help us to do that and experience a difference this week. We're thankful for this wisdom, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.
0: You stand as we respond.
3: Our Father, be your. Creation. Jesus I say
0: this message. God, we want to put ourselves aside and put Jesus first. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There are people up front to pray with you if you need prayer. And don't forget next week in the park at Civic Park. We'll see you then. Have a great, great week.